0: what's it look like to make the center of the design the center of the entire query before you start something who benefits and why
1: hey welcome to current mood this is your host jacqueline schneider Current Mood is a series exploring self-care techniques, mental models, and the core patterns propelling our increasingly digital lives. Through conversations with thought leaders across creative disciplines, I get a chance to learn about unique business paths and pivots through the lens of mental wellness. Hey, welcome back to Current Mood. In this episode, I get a chance to speak with Mark Brand. Mark is a social impact entrepreneur, chef, DJ, food justice advocate, and the host of The Better podcast on iHeartRadio. We love Mark. He has created over a dozen businesses in Vancouver, British Columbia, like a charitable kitchen, a diner, a brewery, a butcher shop. In many cases, these businesses were made to serve and support those struggling with addiction and food insecurity. Uh, We talk about his past life as a DJ, a nightlife dweller, and how that propelled him to become sober. Even after once winning a prestigious bartending award, a 2018 Vice headline reads, Meet the Once Homeless Chef Using Food to Fight Poverty. And I feel like that headline really sums up Mark. He educates me on the links between poverty and food deserts, which he reframed as food apartheid. We also talk about how removing caffeine, alcohol, and sugar changed his life. Uh, Imagine that. And facing imposter syndrome while literally being on stage presenting at Stanford as an adjunct professor. Uh, we all deal with this, even, you know, people who are super successful. This imposter syndrome thing is a real thing. Um, Mark is such a deep soul who moves with intention. And every time I talk to him, I've just, feel so inspired to legitimately start a new life. So I really hope you get a lot of this conversation. It's a little bit on the longer side, but definitely listen to it all the way to the end. He's dropping bangers like all the way through. So have fun. Who are you?
0: Yeah, I mean, why don't you tell me? Who
1: are you? Who who you are?
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, right? And it's you are Who I am to my partner, who I am to one team that I might work with, who I am to an organization that I consult with around food sovereignty, who I am to a group that books me to speak next week in Halifax, Nova Scotia. You know, that's, it's an interesting prompt. Who I am to my DJ homies, right? Yeah. Uh, Who I am to my dad. Who are you? What's the actual question?
1: Who are you today?
0: Um, Today, I'm a, a loving partner. That's number one. That's on my agenda. Like, uh. I'm a best friend. Um, I'm a a leader in the space of agency. And I think that that matters a lot. And I I say that with no facetiousness. I think there's a a lot to that. I think I, I create space for people to discover themselves Mm -hmm. uh, and, and believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I use all the tools in my repertoire. And so who I am on a resume, if I lost. All my businesses tomorrow, I guess, would be um, a social impact entrepreneur, mm-hmm. a chef, mm-hmm. um, a speaker, and a facilitator, mm-hmm. and uh, a leader. And so those those are my job titles. As if you asked any of my other people that we <laughs> talked about earlier, those that's what people would say I am. Yeah, I'm a host of a podcast. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I do these jobs, um, and I'm not trying to be aloof or cool about it. I just I don't think that we have ever been successful in defining or accepting um, all of us as polymaths, right? So we we try to box and pigeonhole folks in to make ourselves feel comfortable in an understanding of how to relate to them. Mm -hmm. And we've lost our ability to just be human. And so I am, first and foremost, as I said, a loving partner, I'm a great friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of that stuff shows up in the way that I lead my organizations and I govern myself.
1: So how do you prepare yourself for the day when you have all of these roles? Do you have like a go-to start?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do and I don't, right? I think uh, the most important thing for any of us that are wearing a lot of hats uh, is breath Mm. and, and patience uh, into when I say patients, I don't just mean external. I mean, internal, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, our role specifically, if we're leading organizations and we have teams that rely on us. And in my instance, where we work in triage, right, we work front lines in some of my organizations and one of them in particular, where we're doing food for people who are facing homelessness or uh, street entrenchment or coming out of recidivism and the people who do that work. Uh, I'll use this as an analogy because it'll be helpful. I think Mm -hmm. uh, who do that work are also coming from lived experience. And so they have a lot of trauma and bias uh, Mm -hmm. to the world around them, as do I. Mm -hmm. And so how to show up best in a non-reactive and non-violent way is how I recenter myself in the day. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, when we say non-violence, people are like, well, are you throwing fists? (laughs) Like, no, like to make sure that we're being non-violent in our energy, in our, our words, Mm. Language is extraordinarily violent, and the Western world is um, the most violent civilization on the planet. Correct. And we're we're violent in every step. Mm. Our aggression, uh, the way that we meet with each other, the way that we accuse, we blame, we shame, uh, we ostracize. And so leadership has been, well, since the invention of capitalism, uh, aggressive and uh, dictating and dominating. And it has created this real toxicity mental health crises, physical health crises, and Mm. this extractionary world that we live in. So all of that is in play in my mind as I wake up truly to say, how do I make sure to meet the day and what will certainly be many challenges, each and every one of them, 365 days a year, um, with grace, with kindness, with compassion, and with um, commitment to true leadership Mm -hmm. and say, hey, this is what we're doing and this is why. And so that's, that's going to be a centering practice. And for me, much more lately, it's how can I free up more space to rest so that I can be most effective?
1: Yeah. So what was your tipping point for being extremely conscious of your behaviors in kind of like your everyday um, interactions with people? Was there a point in a travel was there something that happened in work was it relationship or were you always just kind of like a highly conscientious person with regard to your energy and um your presentation he's shaking his head okay oh man
0: <laughs> i wish right <laughs> yeah like no, what I, you, what made you I've been the worst. so conscious yeah i've been the worst of all those traits sure. right i've been i've been a toxic leader i've been a terrible leader i've been passive aggressive i've been manipulative. I've been, all of those traits that I was taught were true leadership. Mm. Mm. We literally, there's a hundred books. If you walk into a bookstore right now or click on Amazon books on leadership, I, you know, nine out of 10 of them are going to teach you the wrong way. If not all of them, Right. right. What is it? What can you get from doing X? Right. And that's, that's not the way. Right. And so the other thing about entrepreneurship is in the structures that exist right now, you either inherit your wealth or nepotism helps you find your way towards it Mm -hmm. predominantly it's white male led, right right so you you're in the space of you know you will inherit x y or z or you become x y and z because it's passed down or a buddy did or x y or z right and uh as entrepreneurs that start with nothing we truly start with this giant imposter syndrome Mm. of, and especially if you have no formal training. So for scope, I, I graduated grade 12, but just barely. Mm. And I went to university a couple of times and it just wasn't for me. Structural learning um, and repetition and regurgitation isn't a way that I learned.
1: Me too. I'm with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because nobody should learn that way. Anytime
1: a teacher would draw something, I'm like, Oh my God, I understand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And all of us. And I mean, we could we could literally spend the whole episode deconstructing why the school week and the work week intertwined, why they were built that way, while breaks and recess and school were scheduled that way to, to indoctrinate the working class,
1: mm-hmm. literally.
0: So it didn't work out for me, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any of the also tools that you would get in post-secondary as a business person. So the tools that we should learn in grade four or five and how to manage our money and how to cook for ourselves and all the things, we don't get them. And so when you go into the business world, you are hustling and you're learning by osmosis. You're like, okay, let me get close to somebody who's doing this well. But they're also generally, you know, people in your circle are hustling too and trying to figure it out. Right. And when the ball drops and you're just like, oh, this is not complex at all. <laughs> like, wow, this is, this is the big secret they're keeping from us. How to do business is like, oh, you just, this is wild. Right. What was the, so wh-
1: what was the first time you, you realized that?
0: my first restaurant was named Benita after my mom rest in power Benita? Uh, yeah also on my neck here predominantly oh and so that was named
1: name. right yeah. it's, it's, so
0: I, I dj'd for 10 years in australia uh, hustled worked in the music industry worked really hard to create culture community through music mm-hmm. um and loved my life i uh, got diagnosed with an illness had to give up my residency and leave and come back to canada canada is where i hold citizenship and where i live from where i was 9 to 19 ended mm-hmm. up in vancouver long story very short i've been cooking since i was 13 in the food and beverage industry learned all of those tools of the trade to to be able to survive and work anywhere and adore food cooking is you know my heart and soul as mm-hmm. you know and so i get back to vancouver and get myself a job very long story uh short find myself rising through the ranks of notoriety within the fnb industry here in front of uh, house which was behind the bar so became vancouver's ah. first bartender of the year
1: Oh, uh,
0: but was struggling very hard with uh, mental health sure uh, and, and addiction and so battling yeah. all of the tropes within the restaurant industry of addiction narcotics uh, into alcohol and sure. just battled heavy so fell yeah. fell all the way down that ladder and I've found myself it. sleeping on the couch you've I've seen, seen it, it you know my, it
1: my dad's a chef uh, i grew up working in restaurants i grew up Back of the house, front of the house, side of the house, <laughs> all of, all of the, do- you know I know the all deal. the back doors <laughs> yeah. and yeah, that industry is, uh, I mean like other industries like music industry also is, it's, um, it can be very toxic and it's, it's very, uh, time consuming. So you're just kind of stuck.
0: Yeah. And people are disposable, right? So it's, it's just a constant treadmill of disposable humans and it's, it's awful to people. It really is. And so that's, that's putting that as a pin. Like that's why I decided to never do that to people. Yeah, Um, And then the secondary portion is, you know, start that first business. Don't know what we're doing. Mm. Patch it together, become the most award-winning restaurant in Canada that year. For $89,000, we built this space, this beautiful historic space, and energy matters and love matters and talent and passion matter. And so we built it based off that. Uh, It was Pacific Northwest. We had an incredible uh, chef de cuisine, Jeremy Bastien, amazing human being. But more importantly, what we had created was anti-restaurant. Got it. It was not all the things that everybody else was doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. To give you an example, we won design of the year on an $89,000 budget. When I accepted that award, the person in the front row who came second, their carpet for their restaurant cost more than my entire restaurant. <laughs> Literally, that's yeah, not, not a it. joke. It's like yeah. and so I said I said that out on the podium. And it was a statement of anti-establishment. It was yeah. we're we're here. Right. We've arrived. People get it. They're not here for your chandeliers anymore. They're not here for your giant pieces of art in the in the spothing spaces with these ridiculous wine lists anymore. People <laughs> want real food. They want real people and they want great service and they want these things. And so it was just the same thing as how we understood how to build community is truth to action. Mm-hmm. So we did it in the restaurant industry, but how my business lesson came is I was embezzled from by my one of my first partners. What? And he just had really bad addiction issues as well. Oh, wow. And we realized that there was a lot of money missing and wow. um I didn't know anything about books or bookkeeping. And I had to figure it out extremely quickly or lose the business. And I did, you know, I, I'm obviously fast forwarding pretty much 12 months of sitting in my corner family booth with paperwork everywhere <laughs> and a junior accountant that I'd hired through a friend yeah. and us just learning yeah. exactly how to deal with it all and calling suppliers and calling everybody and be like, Hey, this is the situation I find myself in. Yep. I would love to make this work if you will. Yep. And everybody rallied behind us That's and amazing. me. And that's how I, that's how I went to business school <laughs> it was that, like okay that's that how the, this works
1: is that the spirit of Benita
0: it is very much so yeah. and from there I launched you know I think what was it all together 11 more businesses over five years in that three block radius everything from an art gallery to a sushi restaurant to a streetwear spot to a live music venue to a cocktail bar I still own and um, wow. to all of these other businesses because I figured out the algorithm yeah and and what it was was other business people were predating on talent. Right? They were saying, just mm. like the landlord and, and tenant situation, the same thing was happening in business. I was like, wait a second, what if we could involve the talent directly, partner with talent and say, hey, we can do this together. Yeah. Let's start these businesses that matter to us. Yeah, Money is not the end goal. Building community and spaces of radical inclusion and hospitality are, and just mm. doing cool shit in our city. Yeah. Let's do something that's really cool that's not here. Mm. and. We ran like that for about 11, 12 years until wow. social impact came to the forefront for me and, and then everything changed.
1: What is social impact? We hear that a lot.
0: What does it mean to create a space or a business that genuinely gives back? I'm going to say some things that I don't mean as um, inflammatory or insulting. What I mean them as is I have a difference of opinion. Sure. So when people say I run a business and it's 1% for the planet, And people don't find that offensive? That that rattles me.
1: As it should. That rattles
0: me. Yeah. This is like it's like one percent for imagine if you went to a restaurant, you're like, here's one percent for your service.
1: Right. Here's a one percent tip.
0: (laughs) Right. One percent for the place that gives you everything. So what would it mean to say no? Every percent needs to go back to not only planet, but to people and to place. How do we replace shareholder with stakeholder? Mm. is the prompt that we started with what what's the difference well there's a very clear difference the stakeholder is a person who's going to be affected directly by what you do
1: skin in the game
0: right but yeah. just people in general yeah. if i move into a neighborhood mm-hmm. and i open a 75 five dollar a plate restaurant in a place where there's a 300 room next to it i'm gentrifying that's the stakeholder everybody in that neighborhood is a stakeholder right a shareholder is somebody who has put money in and demands profit increase every single quarter, mm. forever. Right. And so that's why we're here. That's why we can't breathe our air. We can't drink our water is because to do that, we have to destroy.
1: Mm. And so
0: what is the impact of your business? What is the impact of your actions? What is What are you co-opting or co-signing by engaging with these businesses? And so what's the opposite of that? Mm-hmm. And that's what social impact business is. Mm. What's it look like to make the center of the design, the center of the entire query before you start something, who benefits and why? Well, wh- what do you, why do you care? What you should be benefiting is, we know it, hustle, dollars, make sure that you are making the most money, make sure you're doing those things. And when you ask, did I have an epiphany? Well, I, I ran all those businesses. Mm-hmm. They were successful. And we were doing about $17 million, $16.8 million in revenue,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? I was spending more than that. So it wasn't like we were banking a lot, mm-hmm. but I was the most unhappy I'd ever been in my life. Mm. I literally had everything off every checklist. And you've heard this trope, right? Mm. Every single thing that I could ever want. And I was miserable. Mm. And I was working in a neighborhood that I cared deeply about and worked with the individuals, but I, was completely disconnected from what I was supposed to be doing. And what I was supposed to be doing is building community and helping people find their way and creating safe spaces. And so by finding my way back to social impact, I created a business structure, the first one, which was a 21,000 square foot butcher shop I took over, Mm. uh, which was a place that I found respite when I was struggling uh, in the center of what's known as the downtown east side on the unceded Squamish nation. Mm. And that is the hardest block. It was just decamped two days ago oh, by, wow. by people tenting. I've been working there now 11, 12 years. We do about 2,000 meals a day, scratch made every day out of there for people in our community, forward-facing window. We do events consistently. That business, every single step we take, everyone, mm-hmm. we are the last consideration. The first consideration is how can we impact our the people in this neighborhood positively? Secondly, how can we impact the supply chains positively? Mm-hmm. Third, how can we do it in the most ecologically friendly, genuinely, way possible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and right. And we're, those are the considerations that go, I believe into social impact business.
1: Yeah. So when you're having conversations with people in the community, people who are entrenched in the politics of a community, um, what do those conversations sound like?
0: I think starting with this, which is isolation is the single biggest cause of addiction and instability mm. is an important way to, to respond. It's we are the most disconnected and connected generation right. that's ever lived. Right. right? This we are we are so disconnected, so uh, connected,
1: our, and so disconnected.
0: To what though? <laughs> right? What do What are you connected to? The algorithms, yeah. like, but so the community, like here, and as you know, we roll around Brooklyn together, and it's like what's popping bodegas like to to rise radio to go see all the people and everything is community right the downtown east side is the exact same thing minus Mm. the money (laughs) so people are struggling super hard they have very serious mental health issues they have addiction to narcotics that run the whole xylophone right like they got them all really and what they have in spades is heart and you know they say when you hit rock bottom you become your truest self I mean, and I see that yeah. every single day here and yeah. people are, I've been at my lowest, I've struggled, I've had issues and the people in this community and neighborhood showed up for me and continue to do so. And so I say, there's, there's no us and them. There's only us. Mm-hmm. And so we say we're most isolated. We're also the most polarized we've ever been. Boy, we are gang, 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 very The mentalities. Ins- it's insane.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: And then the interfighting between the other sides, like, you're not as right as me. <laughs> like <laughs> What? What is this a competition of who's the most ignorant?
1: I mean, like this
0: is or you're not as left as me. You're not as woke as me. It's so you're not as you're not as X. And it's like, what what have we done to ourselves and to each other that we judge with this lens? So when you come to this neighborhood, yeah, none of that matters. Mm. Nobody once is going to ask you about your politics. They're asking you how you're doing. Really? Right. Definitely. That sounds
1: refreshing. I'm moving to what end?
0: So what that's not their existence, right? So right. I think what's happened to us is so disheartening because we're so entrenched in these almost role-playing character sheets we've created for ourselves. Mm. Right? It's like plus 13 understands the you know communist agenda. Like, what are you talking about? I, I'm 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 so lost. It is
1: comical, actually.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, but and also so it's
1: deeply sad.
0: And <laughs> it's only part of the story. Right. So I think what's so important is to, you know, anybody listening, just to get out and touch things and see things yeah. and be with people. Yep. And to understand that, yes, it's also serious, but also it's not. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, And
1: I, I think, you know, that's kind of the magic of, of food, right? Is like, you know, everyone's got to eat. And I've noticed this a lot through the little bakery project that I have during the pandemic. It started and it was my social life, (laughs) like being able to connect with people through food. I mean, it's always, you know, kind of been a thing, but I'm sure you see this over and over again. I see you, you know, posting photos and videos of feeding like 1,200, 3,000 people. Like you're hitting like numbers with people and you're hitting... You're hitting people with sustenance literally <laughs> um like tell tell me more about the magic of, of food and how um, you've seen people transform around Boris
0: it. yeah yeah my honor I mean it's awesome we're it yeah it's it's really quite that simple I, I love to say stuff that that gets people into a space of thinking like what do you mean I'm not made of cheese like well, <laughs> I've seen you eat. eat.
1: Do you eat cheese?
0: (laughs) You're kind of of at least 38% cheese. But (laughs) hmm, zooming out even further than that, we're all made of stardust. Yeah. But not not metaphorically. No, literally.
1: (laughs) We're all cells and energy. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Right? But (laughs) we are. And so when we think about food, we have this really toxic and terrible relationship with it. Truly. Which is most of the stuff that people eat isn't it yeah first of all it's yeah. science yeah you know, you're you're subsisting on a science project created by a multinational to try and make as much money out of you as possible that's not food bro Dude. there's nothing there's nothing food about it no it's and
1: despicable to be fair
0: so when we looked at these things i think what's happened to us is we become so disconnected from what our actual solutions are and like go so-and-so is sick now and this person just passed away at 38 from cancer and this guy's got my guy's got diabetes he's like type 3 like how you know what's happening right like i get so upset about it because we have been convinced indoctrinated sold to continually marketed to that the things that are supposed to nourish us and give us energy are actually killing us truly And I don't mean like a little bit, like it's part of the problem. It's the whole problem. Right. The entire problem from production to extraction, to manufacturing, to shipping, to ingestion, to what it does to our mental health, our physical health, our psychic health. All of it is like destroyed. Yeah. By all the foods that we're eating.
1: And it's it's crazy because we're so disconnected from... The things that we put into our body, (laughs) I mean, especially like I feel like, you know, maybe a bit of the younger generations have more access to education and, you know, we have more um, visibility into the things that we eat and where, where they come from. But like, you know, previous generations, like my my mom, my my dad, my aunts and uncles and grandparents, like they they just don't know and even like are totally brainwashed. To the point where every time I go home, I clean out my mom's fridge, and I'm like, "What is in here?
0: It's wild. It's yeah. wild." I'm like, "So here's there, the, here's the the missing part, food? right?
1: Is there food in here? What is this stuff?"
0: And there's the compassion lens, which is critically important in this, right? Help because everybody then wants to blame. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, don't don't blame like, but for the sins of the father, right? Like, it's not even that." So my my grandparents um, on my father's side were farmers really um and multi-generation so they're wow. from Edmonton Alberta uh-huh. uh, my dad was essentially raised on a farm very poor folks yeah but incredibly resourceful sure and i learned how to like can and jam and pickle and do all those things when i was young young can my, jam and
1: pickle it's like the you new mixtape
0: It's know it's 100% i think that already <laughs> exists um but i think that's a dirty south mixtape there's a <laughs> A situation when I'm growing up, that I'm like in my grandmother's backyard, which is like a twelfth of an acre at best, like at best. It's like yeah. a a spit of green in the backyard. And she's got raspberry bushes, an apple tree, a crab apple tree. She's got a small greenhouse. They are growing tomatoes. It's all enough for them to subside at about fifty percent, sixty percent of their grocery bill all year round and through the coldest of winters, there's a pantry downstairs, and it's full. And Mm -hmm. so I, they're farmers, so they just know. And I'm like, how do you do this? And (laughs) little me, single digit me, is learning how to do this stuff and is like, oh, it's this is, what do you mean? That's it. We just put boiling water and and pickling vinegar and sugar in there? That's literally it. (laughs) That's that. And then, oh, and then, right, Stardust does the rest. I got it. I got it figured out. And so when we say then mass manufacturing comes along, we are growing these crops to make sure that everybody can eat, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, let's make sure that everybody fed and Great Depression and all of these other things mm-hmm. that were basically the big bait and switch. It's yeah. like, let's get away from everybody knowing how to grow their own food and look after their own garden to let's take care of that for you. Taxation grows into another thing. We'll take care of everybody else that's sick and ill. So you don't got to worry about it. You just go to work and pay your taxes. We got this. Huh. Those two things, the industrial complex, work together to create where we're at. So we have this giant health crisis. And as the West, we look out and we're like, God, why is why do people live to 118 <laughs> in Italy? Right. And yo, our average lifespan is going down every year. Right. It's like, because nobody is eating graham cracker smoothies for breakfast, Bro, dog. Like, what? <laughs> what are you... It's what not even exaggeration?
1: Actually, I was like, "Oh, well, that was
0: I was being kind there." That's a that's a Starbucks menu item. No, like, I
1: was walking to the studio this morning, and someone came out of Starbucks at nine a.m. with a venti, whatever. Like, I'm like, "Wow, this is
0: yo the fat. amount of caffeine and sugar that goes into that." Yeah, is twenty five times your daily limit, right? Like. Your, your body can't handle this shit. and so it's screaming for you yeah right it's literally like swelling and bloating your heart yeah. palpitations your whole thing and we're like oh man i must be stressed out at work um, <laughs> what <laughs> no sir no ma'am. bro it was the chicken big mac that you ate three of last night like put it down and it's the entire system is built this way and so jokes yeah. aside now yeah if you can go to a fast food chain and let's not throw all of them under the bus or we can i mean fuck like, them all, uh, To be honest, which
1: ones do we leave out
0: <laughs> right so you go there and you have four dollars in your pocket right and you you can eat
1: it's real now that's very real. what about
0: real food can we access real food for four dollars <throat> not really not unless you have an adept knowledge of how to cook correct and that that would be a you know how to buy, buy a bag of rice you know how to go to a market in chinatown little italy greece like all of the spots and actually shop properly. You know how to use almost expired produce. You know how to go to the butcher and use offcuts. You know how to access all of these things, which is an education mm. that simply does not exist. Right. It's it's for the the people of privilege, right? It's like, oh, you want to sign up for a cooking class and do this thing. And so if we're not taught the ways to feed and look after ourselves and feed and look after our families in ways that don't destroy our bodies and mind. That just continually keeps us in a place
1: what is the solution and
0: everybody needs to learn to cook yeah that's in, a good period, start. point blank yeah. like it really really is and then the cool thing the only cool thing about the capital markets is where we stop going goes away what do you mean what we stop buying goes away
1: oh if, if there's no cook.
0: if there's no consumer for a product the right. product goes away all right and so this is you know yeah. of course snap your fingers utopia Right. We are back into a place where the bodega that has fresh food on every corner, the market that has fresh food every couple of blocks, yeah. the shopkeeper that loves their job and can afford to buy the product directly from farm and farmer and has a relationship there right? versus getting priced out by every single Costco and giant box store. I, I launched a butcher shop when I launched a social impact project, a butcher shop that was 2,200 square feet. Mm-hmm. For anybody that does business out there, that's exactly 1,900 square feet too many. There's-, <laughs> there's no need to have a bowling alley sized butcher shop in this day and age, but I wanted to do it all right. And I wanted to pay homage and mm. we were doing great because people loved us and they wanted to help with the business, fresh, making our sausages, every cut proper, every cut grass fed, grass finished, like just did it, did it. Yeah. And Costco popped open. And it was within three months that even the people who I care about could no longer truly come to visit us because it's so expensive to live everywhere. Man. So you can't make good selections. So even if you want to start these businesses that provide a better product and really truly do it at an accessible rate, you can't you can't undercut mm. the monstrosities that are these giant box stores that have also um you know are working to kill us, to be very frank. So yeah. I think this is the whole this the answer to that question that became <laughs> very long-winded no, was <laughs> Everything's working against us and we have to push back in ways that are meaningful. And the only way to really truly start that is through the education of your own body and access to food. And having been in all of the marginalized areas across North America Mm -hmm. from literally Brownsville through teaching women and children fleeing violence how to shop at their local bodega that AKA is manning that has the goods that can buy Legumes and good veggies and stuff there, and cook for very little money—four, five, six dollars—because the cultures represented there know how to do that. Yeah, you know, and learning from your community—that's got to be the first step.
1: Yeah, Um, this is just—I have so many questions for you
0: now. I'm here. Let's go.
1: (laughs) I mean, so like, uh, luckily, I learned how to cook at a young age. Um, but I know that not everybody has access to that, the education, um, knowing how to shop, um, knowing how to prepare food, knowing what actually to buy and what your body needs and listening to your body, where is a good place. And, and, and also to add to that in New York where I live, um, and also all throughout, uh, North America, like. Groceries are so expensive right now. I literally went to the local market in Bed-Stuy. It's like the bigger the bigger market um, in the neighborhood and um I just wanted to get a few things before I could go to the farmers market like on the weekend. Uh, I literally sent photos of the prices to stuff to my mom in San Diego because I was like, "Oh my god. Uh, a, bu- a a bunch of asparagus was 8.99. 8.99. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, n- nine dollars. Um, but riddle me this the next day, I went to uh, Italy in um in Manhattan. Yeah, it's like a fancy Italian grocery store, um, but it's kind of m- mainstream uh, by the park there. Yeah, why was the produce way better and cheaper
0: there? Mm. Like, is love, that a love it, that?
1: Y- why is that?
0: I tell you why, very simply. Yeah. Loss leaders, um, reputationally, we're having this conversation right now. So we're essentially doing a little ad for them, and then they're gonna sell you olive oil at forty dollars a bottle. Um, what what is you know the differentiator? What's a key differentiator? Or maybe they took a stand and were like, hey, you know where there's great produce? We work with a <laughs> The Hepworth Farms folks up in the Hudson Valley. All right. So the Hepworth Farms, seventh generation farm, mm-hmm. two women, late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. They've just branched into weed. Our foundation is partnering with them. Super excited. Mm-hmm. But they do tons of incredible produce and have for literally seven generations. Yeah. The Hudson Valley and upstate New York has some of the best produce on the planet. It does. Right. And yeah. so Italy obviously has that direct connect. Mm, so right? it's the
1: relationship.
0: Of course, because every single one of your other markets is buying from Cisco, GFS, one of those other just terrible ass companies Yo, it, was, that, it that was, is getting their produce from California, shipping it across, dude. marking it straight up yeah. to their 200, 300, 400, 500% market. Yeah. What they say, the CEO, I think it was of Loblaws last year, it would take the average worker 380 lifetimes to make what she made last year. Yeah. So that I mean, that's your that's your that's answer. The
1: answer, yeah. It it was it was really disheartening. Also because you know, like Bed Stuy, you know, even five years ago, according to some of my neighbors, I've only lived there for about four years, um, was like a food desert. And you know, no one in New York, like a lot of people don't drive. Like you're kind of landlocked to your neighborhood, right? And like, n- not everybody can get you know farm to people, which is like you know an amazing farm literally farm to people service which shout out to farm to people they literally saved me during the pandemic and all day farm yeah. to people yeah all day um their founder is amazing michael hello if you're listening um <laughs> like not everybody can afford to do that um like what what do what do we do if we only have access to like a bodega or that store like how do you shop healthy like what do you do For sure. i i, I feel a... so conflicted sometimes because also, the other thing too is like access to pro, like good protein and and you know like meat and and um, fish, um, you know it's just like loaded with so much stuff. It's like it just doesn't feel like real food. So even, you know, me, someone who knows how to cook and I can get super resourceful, especially when like money's tight, I just like have to go far and wide to like find actually real food. It it feels like robbery. It's just fucking crazy.
0: So the situation we find ourselves in now, and let me say a yes and to food desert. So the preferred terminology from my camp is food apartheid.
1: Food apartheid. Okay, that's that actually yeah. tracks.
0: Ex- well, right? That's but for those who are listening that are like, wait a second, what do you mean? It's like redlining, which yeah. I'm sure everybody at this point, post-pandemic and BLM movement, and everybody hopped on that wagon for a good 30 seconds at least to get their square up and then bounce. <laughs> Whoever stuck around understood that redlining... Yeah, is literally a creation of local government, police state of capitalism in its truest form to say, we're not going to make a lot of money in these particular neighborhoods. And also, we're not going to service these particular neighborhoods because of the color of people who live in them. Right. So, I mean, I don't think we need to candy coat this shit, right? Just say what it is. No, it's real. And that's when you say, oh, bed didn't used to, but now it does because draw the line. It's one sentence. Gentrification,
1: gentrified as fuck. I am one you of know. the people who participated in this,
0: right? So yeah. now that it's there, the residents are being priced out. Of course, rent evictions start to happen, things get demoed. There's no government control, yeah. And this is what's bubbling inside of me so angrily is like, I used to believe, here it is, you ready? Ready for this, like, <laughs> wide eyed, bushy tailed kid? No, I go. used to believe that some form of government, municipal. In our country, provincial, federal or statewide, I used to believe that democracy would in some way step in and protect those most vulnerable in our communities in any way. I used to believe this shit. That sounds nice. And I mean, I would go to council meetings. I would be like, I'm the guy. I'm like, hey, so now that I'm here and I get it, I have some answers for you. Want to do this together? And people be like, absolutely. And never take a fucking meeting (laughs) and be like. Wait a second, if we don't protect supply and like procurement and I know there's buckets of money for this and yeah. wait, I'm paying, I gave you guys four and a half million dollars in taxes last year. I would like to see some of that be used for the reasons that you say you ran on your platform to look after. All you got to do is help supply and support food like food is a basic human right. We're born onto a planet that produces it for us. We can pick it off trees. We can grow it with nothing. We literally just move a seed into the dirt and like step back and we should be nourished. It's that fucking simple. And so what we're doing, poverty is an act of violence. Mm. It's a criminal act of violence. that's being perpetuated upon people who cannot defend themselves. Our elected officials are elected to protect those folks, Mm. us, the folks that actually need the help not the other way around. And so when we look at these situations, like, why can't I get a head of romaine lettuce for less than $12? Because there's fucking 8 billion of us. Right? And then this the people that are being supplied for are like, oh, I don't need to look at prices at all. And nobody is regulating anything. No. And so now I'm sounding to sound dangerously like a socialist because I am. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with
1: that. We should have access to healthy food. That is grown in and around where we live at a reasonable fucking price. Period. It's not. And then in the interim, science.
0: should be being taught how to do it, and we should have people protecting all of those rights. Right. Period. Yeah. And what people don't understand is, the more we extract, and the more we ostracize, and the more that we afflict people with poverty, the worse it gets for every single person. Right. There's this weird, up game that people are playing of like if. If I don't have enough, then, you know, like I need to hoard and we live in the scarcity mentality versus an abundance mindset up. There is more than enough for everybody. Yeah. So we work in waste food and a quick analogy. I take the waste from three grocery stores five days a week delivered to me by electric tricycle. And when I say waste, I mean like day old sushi rolls, literally everything from the hot counters. Yeah. All the produce that is no longer sellable because it is slightly browned because people are like, oh, no, I don't want that because that it's, all comes. It's, a it's a li- totally good.
1: It's a liability, right? Well, no, to it's just businesses. people don't want to buy it.
0: And it, so it's what they call shrinkage. right? Uh-huh. They're like, OK, this. So that's your asparagus is eight bucks because they're only going to sell 60 percent of it. Like, So two things, two steps during that waste thing, the, the food that we get delivered every day, we take the chef mindset, we black box competition basically every single day from the charity a Better Life Foundation in the space. And we create food for people who don't have access. So we put out between 220 to 240 meals every single day, just made out of grocery waste. Yeah. And stunning. Like yesterday, we did a gorgeous mac and cheese. We did some goldfish crumb on it. And we did some roasted pancetta. Goldfish crumb
1: like, on a mac and cheese? Yeah,
0: yeah well, come Chill. on, right? Um. And just like for people to enjoy food and food should be beautiful. And that's the waste food. Our actual yeah. meal program yesterday that is in those thousands, did a roasted coho salmon on wild rice. Like we do real food. We're not a soup kitchen. Yeah. But what we have to do in the restaurant mentality is anybody who's thinking about opening a restaurant, just on a side note, don't. That is my <laughs> advice. If anybody comes to me for mentorship, they're like, hey, I want to open a restaurant. I'm like, cool. What, what have you done in F&B? And they're like, you know, I worked the floor a couple of times. So I think I really like it. I'm like, don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you
0: have to be Kobe Bryant or LeBron James of the restaurant industry. You must be able to play every position, shoot every single shot to yeah. understand how to make it work unless you have generational wealth. Or right. real estate, right? Because it is a game of fifteen percent at best. And why this relates to food directly is we can't throw anything away, mm. right? We we're not in a place anymore in this current state. Like we could in the eighties and nineties, no problem. But in this current state right now, you cannot waste because you can't afford it. If your asparagus is coming in at eight bucks for eight pieces, dude, that's a dollar per. And you can't max your like your plate price out at more than twenty five or thirty bucks. Yeah. You know what's happening there, right? To provide actual value, everything has to go into a sauce. Everything has to go into a soup. Everything has to go into a daily special. Mm-hmm. And so that same mentality is what we have to teach ourselves. Mm. And I did a lot of that during the pandemic on on my personal socials, but also teaching people which is here's my carrot stems. Here's my onion off cuts. Here's all of this. I'm going to make a veggie stock. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how to make a chicken stock. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how to make an actual super stew mm-hmm. because those are the things that are so nourishing for us and we would say are quote-unquote garbage, and right. they're not. <laughs> they're not. And so how do yeah. we make our dollar stretch, I think, is the long-winded answer, again, to your question of where do we get our food and how do we make it last, right? So if you can't afford to take or have Uber deliver your food, right. and you have to take two trains or buses or whatever it may be. Make sure that that grocery trip is not once every couple of days. That you do do those stockpiling. That you do understand how to like get those dry ingredients in your house. Yeah. How to make beans? How and to make
1: beans? Oh man, thousands! I went, I went on trials. a bean kick for a while.
0: <laughs> Stay on it. They're so good for you. Pulses are the future. Like. You, we're going to need to eat them, but they are in every single culture on the planet. Yeah, They're the easiest and cheapest to grow on the planet. They're the least detrimental to our earth and our soil. Yeah, And they're incredibly good for you on all levels. Totally. Like bean, beans are it. I know. And I'm not I, talking about the canned stuff that has all the weird science in it, but like making your own beans. And it's so cheap.
1: Yeah. What? what okay. <laughs> this might be an, a stupid question, but... You're talking about canned beans or like GMO beans. Uh, are they really bad for you?
0: It's a catch-all for um over-pesticide use, for chemically treated, for chemically grown um, things. But we do also hybridize and make more resilient products based out of that same process. So yeah. there is a few things, and I say a handful of things that are in that process that worked really well for us. But what mm. we've also done is weakened our crop resilience through all of that. So we are only, I don't have the exact number in front of me anymore. I used to love this one, but we're eating like 13 to 14 different food groups or mm. Um, and fun. One of my best friends, Mark Buckley, him and I were working in Thailand together uh, just before the pandemic, as it hit, and he was doing a presentation. And I love this guy. He's such a food geek. And I just been touring farms out there. Jay, I spent half a day on a farm, no English, getting handed food Mm. that I'd never heard of, seen, or tasted before in my entire life. Yes. Like all, just like walking through, being past leaves and pick things out of the ground. I'm like, what is it? I saw my first real tiger prawn. Wow. Do you know how big tiger prawns? Tiger prawns are the size of lobster. Really? Like that's what they actually look like. And we, you know, they farm just the babies and ship them and freeze them all over the planet. But what we understand is food and our resilience to it is just not, it's not real. Mm -hmm. We've created a system looping all the way back that just doesn't track or is real. So if you read on a can or a package or whatever, first of all, read all of the stuff you buy.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: And if on any of it, you're like, I don't, there's at least seven chemicals in here that I don't know what they are. Would you ask yourself? Would you take a tablespoon of that and put it in your in your face? Because I sure as fuck wouldn't. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm really not trying to. And so when your body reacts adversely to something, shout out my my dude Charles Eisenstein. He wrote this book called The Yoga of Eating. Sounds really woo woo. It's not. It's simply the <laughs> concept of when you put a bite of something in your mouth. If you take a moment to see how your body reacts, it will tell you.
1: Right. Truly. Right.
0: We're disconnected or connected yeah. when you put it in your mouth. Do you have a sensation? And then an hour later, what do you feel like? Mm. Do you feel clean and clear? Do you have good energy? Do you feel great? Or do you feel like, God, I need to sit down or I need that coffee. You saw somebody cough at Starbucks this morning. Oh God. Cause if it's the ladders, <laughs> you're eating something that's not good for you. Right. It's, it's really, truly that simple. If you finish a meal and you're like, Oh my God, I am ready to straight up take over the world. <laughs> Put it on your menu and keep eating it, <laughs> yeah, right? And d- that, but don't eat it every day, right? right? That's the other thing is we oversaturate our diets. You have to eat a variety of things, maximum two or three times a week of things. Mm-hmm. I got this crazy naturopath and the rant will be over. Naturopath, I go to see him again yesterday. I have a, a very serious kidney condition. And I had all these heavy metals built up like we all do in our bodies. And I'm doing all of these IVs and cleanses to get them out because my kidneys don't function that well. And I need them to be doing their best. And they can't be doing their best when heavy metals are in our body. All of the things poisoning us. And he looked over at my partner, Sarah, and we both have quit coffee. And Mm. I had to do so for health reasons, which is a wild thing. And he was like, I don't say this in the first visit, but 80% of my job, and this is the best naturopath on the West Coast, Mm -hmm. is getting people off coffee and sugar. Mm. 80% of my job is getting refined sugar syrups sugars right. not honey honeys from God
1: <laughs> correct eat honey
0: eat honey by the leaderful the Greek um, gods <laughs> right but these two things and this just ties right into our entire conversation yeah uh create this really unhealthy society that we're living in and yeah. those things are you're going to find in all of those packages so when you see beans to tie a little ribbon on it see how much refined sugar is in it See how much sodium iodized salt is in it and then see how many fucking chemicals are in it. And, you know, what should be in there is beans, water, and vinegar and a little right. bit of salt. Right. That's ba- all that should be in that fucking can. But,
1: you know, that's just my preference. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that from uh, from, a, from another chef. He was just like throw a bay leaf in and put some vinegar at the end. And mm-hmm. it's like the best thing. I've. You know those little things in the, you learn in the kitchen. He also taught me how to uh, peel a ginger uh, with the back of a spoon.
0: <laughs> just little, mm-hmm.
1: those little things. It's just, it's funny. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so you gave up, you and Sarah both gave up coffee. And Good. And I know this about you, that you gave up alcohol
0: mm-hmm.
1: and drugs mm-hmm. a long time ago. That's right. Um, how do you stop doing something that you enjoy or did you turn to a point where you're just like this sucks (laughs) i am done
0: yeah i mean what is the point of enjoyment right and so i think that is when you ask yourself really seriously particularly around alcohol right Mm -hmm. um it's called a spirit for a reason yours leaves your body (laughs) (laughs) wow genuinely your soul leaves your body right it is it is it removes your truest self and that's what we as a society use it for is to remove all of our inhibitions and to also stifle all of our pain Hmm. right and so if we're living in a way that we have to do both of those things that's the root causality for the use or the application of those quote-unquote medicines or spirits. And for me, it got to a place where I would apply those spirits and the darkness was so overwhelming. Mm. And for days afterwards, my mental health suffered so badly Mm. and we were comedic about it, right? We're comedic about it. You show up and be like, oh my God, man, I'm not doing so great. Like I'm not feeling very well or like, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm late. And like, when are, when are excuses enough? Yeah. Right. When do you stop feeling proud of yourself and the way that you show up? And so the real one for me, Jack, was if I'm living in integrity Mm. of showing up for my teams who are showing up every day for people who need us most in a system that couldn't give two fucks about us or anybody in it. Mm. If I'm doing what I'm doing and not being able to show up 100% as myself, 95 wasn't good enough. 70 wasn't good enough. And 50 definitely wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. What are the things that are taking me out of body, mind, and spirit and mm-hmm. making me walk out of integrity? And alcohol was the number one for me. And one was too many and a million was never enough. Mm. And so it's it's this interesting place. I still own a cocktail bar. I own a brewery. Uh, I love my brewery. We It's a beautiful company, Persephone. We have 11 acre farm. We're a B corporation. We're top 10 in the world. Like I love what we do there. And I do believe that people can imbibe responsibly. Mm-hmm. I can't. Got it. Right? And so also it's just a, I wanted to, so long story, very short. I'm up super late one night and there's, I had like three or four critical moments, but let's one keep of the long,
1: I, let's keep the long story long.
0: One of them that really, really hit me is I was with one of my best friends at the time, you know, and still a dear friend, Jacob Ellenberg. And he mm-hmm. looked at me, it was like four in the morning in the kitchen and we're partying, we're having fun. And he's like, do you ever wonder how good you could feel? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Do you ever wonder what it would be like to be a hundred percent feeling good? And I was like, Well, I can't because of my illness. He's like, Oh, yeah, is that is that the excuse you use? And like we just had this really deep and meaningful conversation mm. completely inebriated. Right. Of but it, it hit me really hard. And then, you know, in other parts of my life, I was offered an incredibly beautiful opportunity to become a Stanford fellow. So I was at the D school, the design school at Stanford. Um, as a fellow in civic innovation. Mm. And I was working on poverty and in the intersection of technology for a year. So my companies were under the stead. My father had been retired. He came out of retirement, took over my seat. I was still reporting in daily. Mm. I had my managing director step up and handle more operations. I'm at Stanford. First of all, you want to talk about imposter
1: syndrome.
0: (laughs) Yo, have you ever been to Stanford? It's like, the matrix. And I, you, if you physically can see me, folks, I do not fit the archetypes. <laughs> uh, and also was an aged out like student, but I was there for very specific research. So I was actually an adjunct professor as my title. Yeah. Um, and talking about civic innovation and social innovation and working on design thinking modalities. Mm-hmm. But as I'm there, I'm also finding myself in the imposter syndrome, my shadow taking over. Yeah. So I started to drink every mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking like getting wasted. But I would go to the bar, the local bar, one of the few in Palo Alto that still had local humans in it, where I felt safest and seen right. amongst people who were deeply in their darkness and twisted and drinking <laughs> at four in the afternoon. Right. Right. Your favorites, Barfly In the Effect. Mickey Work was not there, but it felt like it. <laughs> yeah. And having three Manhattans and just overindulging my own sadness. Yikes.
1: Three Manhattans is like drunk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be fine. Right. But I would wow. go home and I'd be upset and be lonely and just. Was not showing up for this opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. Quite literally. I've got a Stanford email address. I can do the research. I'm going to the mission Tenderloin and I'm researching with people street level and I'm taking on all that energy and sadness. Yeah. I'm like, the system has failed us. Yeah. And this is the fucking cycle we get into. Right. Is the world is a disaster. Therefore. I must ruminate on it right. as the tortured poet. Am I Graham Green? Am I Jim Morrison? Am I Hunter S. Thompson? Or fucking all <laughs> of the above? Yeah. Right? And you're none of those. And take it easy. And your ego gets caught up in all those things too, right? right? So right. I had friends intervene who I love very much. I'd done a speaking engagement for them. Um, and it was part of my identity. People like brought me beautiful bourbons and whiskeys. And I had a couple at the speaking engagement, Jack. And it was to a very affluent group in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, and I went for the throat on them. I was doing my talk and wow. I had done a day of research in the Mission Tenderloin. And I had some particularly bad interactions. That's with rough, right?
1: Who... 24th and Mission. I used to live in Yo, yeah, You know the place. And so I'm with all these
0: rich folks and they're yeah. trying to just have the happy stories. And I was just going for the throat. right? And well, yeah. that's the bourbon speaking. So where were you, by the yeah, way, exactly? In a showroom. Um, for a company called All Steel, uh, which does really high-end office finishers oh, yeah. and builds. Oh, yeah, I know All
1: steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I was with a very dear friend of mine who put me on, uh, and I was there speaking, an engagement, a paid speaking engagement. In the showroom, uh, you were
1: roasting these rich... Uh,
0: actual, and in like the most, <laughs> not directly at them, but about them, right? And just barbed to a point that my other friend who was there is an incredible cellist, shout out Philip Shepard. The man is a legend. Was like, hey, I think I'm gonna play now, and I was like, <laughs> okay, and stood me down. The Titanic
1: is sinking. I'm going on.
0: <laughs> the next night, they took me out to dinner and were like, you have to stop drinking. Really? And I, they were like, you were you were fine last night. Everybody loved you, by the way. The feedback was really great, but you were dark. Yeah. You know, in my mind, I was like, you know, awful, and I wasn't. They were like, no, it was total. No, you were good. But if you continue down this road, and in, I won't mince words, you're going to die. Word. And I was like, well, I don't think I want to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I'd flirted, I'd flirted with that a decade earlier, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. And yeah. people in your life show up for you. And I think one of the most dangerous or risky things we see now as friends or as society is telling your friends what you really think and how you care, because mm-hmm. we're scared of the outcome, mm-hmm. right? We're scared that our friends will turn their back on us and that we by showing them how we care our truth it's it's not safe and um i Ooh, love those those, those two <laughs> i love those two very much right so they they showed up for me and you know that's not the end of the that story but today on friday april 7th in 2023 you know 7 years in almost um and very very happy for my sobriety it is not it's never gone away it still it still pops up and rears its head and is like hey Maybe you'd be cool now. Really? And um it's it's just not a thing for me. So that's a little bit of the origin story of why that all took place. But also, yeah. like I encourage anybody who thinks that they are, you know, just having a little bit of a struggle with it. Yeah. Um, don't take a week off, take three months off and see how you feel on the back end. Yeah. And the stuff that comes up for you, you know, take the money that you would have spent at the bar and put it directly into therapy <laughs> and find a great therapist. And I, I say that with all seriousness. No, like, I laugh because therapy should be mandatory. That's
1: the best advice because it's expensive lifestyle, <laughs> and it's so much. The value is so much higher when you invested in yourself and your mental health. <laughs> like, period. It sounds like oh whatever, but I don't know. It is. It's a slippery slope. Like I've definitely like had periods of time where I I am sober. Um, of course, I feel way like uh, the highest version of myself and my potential <laughs> like
0: <laughs> of course right
1: yeah it's 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 interesting cuz it's such a social thing um and i mean for for me it's like i love the taste of wine <laughs> you
0: mm-hmm. know like
1: it's not just like oh i'm going to get hammered and drink some vodka it's like ew um it's more like i'm going to sit here and have a glass of wine with my mom or something (laughs) and it's like so you know it's just part of it's part of um how we're kind of socialized too and I think I don't know if anybody else deals with this but I know this podcast is not about me but I'm gonna share this story um like I have noticed because in the last five years or so I've become like more more uh, uh not more sober but like definitely Removed drugs and alcohol from my life uh, a lot, um, whereas like in my twenties and you know early thirties it was like you know very much a huge part of it. But I do notice that when I go home to visit family, that um, everybody drinks, like everybody. It's just like mm-hmm. we go to dinner. It's like get a glass of wine, I'm getting a martini, I'm doing, the- and then when I'm like not drinking and I hang out with them, I notice that we just have like a different interactions. It's just Horse. like so embedded into uh, like our relationships. And I think it's like somewhat of a coping mechanism because there is a lot of uh, trauma and a lot of role playing that goes on with family too.
0: Um, yeah. Well, there's a very important tool here and I'll pull it out, Jack, because yeah. same, very much same. And I mean, not everybody can relate to you. Not some people. Everybody who's listening to this can absolutely relate to you, unless they have devout Muslim parents, and that's a whole other set of yeah. you know issues you may be encountering. But here in this particular thing, what does it look like? What if you you're like, what's my ideal situation? Right. So when I said to my parents, you know, I'm getting sober. My parents didn't, my mom didn't drink. Um, she had very, very bad health. And my dad, not not a big drinker. It was an easy transition for me. The rest of my life, fucking forget about it. My entire life and existence was built on the consumption of alcohol in the party. Wow. Like every single space that I built or everything I walked into, right? Art right. opening, live music, like everything was based around the socialization and the intoxication. Yeah. And so the, the easiest thing to do and the hardest thing to do all at the same time is just to stop doing it. Right. 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 So I would go out and immediately connect with a bartender. And this is I know I haven't done this in five years, so I don't want to like overstate it. But in the initial terms, you're in your head about it. Right. So I would Holy. get a cranberry soda and a tall glass and always have one in my hand.
1: Right. Right. And if somebody right.
0: offered me a shot, I'd be like, I'm good. Or if somebody insisted, I just take it, and dump it on the floor and put it next to me like, <laughs> and just keep it pushing. Like, right. Right. You, stop making it about you. Right. Because <laughs> you're like, everybody's going to be, like, oh, why aren't you drinking? Nobody gives a fuck. No, is the answer. Nobody cares that you're not drinking unless it's just you and a drinking buddy who's used to you drinking, right? you know, and you That's haven't communicated that you don't, <laughs> that, but you just communicate that you don't drink. Right. And so I went on, I did hundred days sober, ticked a bottle of Eagle rare that I left on my counter, literally didn't tell a soul. And then when I got sober, sober, I announced on socials. I announced to all my friends. I was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. The reaction was the biggest and best reaction I've ever gotten in my entire life from those people that I still have around. Mm-hmm. anybody who reacted adversely to me, I was like, Oh, I can see what's going on here. Right. Yeah. And just took a moment, had conversations with people. Why does this make you uncomfortable? But in gatherings, people will show up for you. Totally. Like people literally, we. I'd go to dinner parties and I'd be like, why is nobody drinking? And would ask the question. They're like, Oh, we just didn't want to. I'm like, I love you so much, but go ahead. Once you get drunk, I'm gone. I don't like to be around you. Right. And that's not a, no offense. I'm just not on your same wavelength. Right. Like, I'm the first person to leave the party because I also go to bed at nine o'clock.
1: That's another thing. It's like, what are your priorities?
0: <laughs> but it, nobody's getting hurt. No harm, right. no foul. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the dinner party starts off and people are having wine and cocktails. Cool. The cool. first couple hours, everybody's still in their body. They're not wild. And by the time they are, I'm tapping out anyway. Bye. And that's, that's our relationship, right? If you want to hang out with me, come have a coffee in the morning or come have breakfast and you will lose people. No, totally. just know just know that, right?
1: I, I noticed that too, because this month I'm observing Ramadan. And there's so many activities here, especially in New York, that are like centered around let's go get a drink, let's do mm-hmm. this, let's do that. Like everything is alcohol related. Uh Definitely. It's, been, it's been really nice because I'll tell people like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not drinking, and they'll immediately accommodate me. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh bet. All right, well, like let's go for a walk in the park. I'm like, that sounds way better anyway. <laughs>
0: Or have a mocktail or have a non-alcoholic wine or have a non-alcoholic beer. I mean, the movement into this is so big and so robust. There's not a dope restaurant or bar you walk into that doesn't have that at this point, which is wild. Like we started doing it at my cocktail bar, I think year two or year three. I was like, abstinence cocktails. Let's make stuff for folks that's equally as delicious. Also charge $9 for it. People will totally buy that. That's that's the crazy
1: part because there's a place in my neighborhood. It's like a jazz bar and they kind of bully you if you don't spend a lot of money and mm-hmm. especially like if you're not drinking or whatever um they have this like del- it's. It, i'm not gonna lie it's fucking delicious but it's like 13 dollar like ginger beer that they make there it's great like, it's amazing but i'm just like really 13 dollars
0: <laughs> yo i mean there's full spirit lines and there has been for decades now that are like non-alcoholic spirits and Sarah and I definitely, wherever we go out, we order a non-alcoholic cocktail to pay homage and respect to also the spirits or the program, the bar forward program. Like there's True. people doing work back there yeah. and it's delicious. We it's get excited. So <laughs> we have one or two and we're like, yo, that was so good. And the effects are, guess what? We're still 100% still ourselves. Guess and <laughs> we paid respect to the restaurant to the space that we're in and we're in good space. But I think, you know, really ultimately diving down back to the most important part here is yeah. what would it feel like to be your best self?
1: Right. It's amazing. Right? And and I have noticed too even like this month um like because I'm not doing the activities that I would usually do at night and be out later at night um I've reprioritized like so much self-care even though like mm-hmm. I I I've, I I do prioritize self-care like hardcore and I have or else I know I'll go crazy. Um, And for me, that's like meditating in the morning, like getting some kind of exercise, like drinking a lot of water, like, you know, meditating again in the afternoon, um, making sure I'm around people that give me energy instead of take it away. Um, There's a lot of different things. But uh, now that I like, you know, for I mean, I'm, you know, literally two weeks. um, I've just noticed I just feel I just feel like my higher self. I've been so productive I've recorded, like, five podcasts. Like, I have more ideas. Like, it's just kind of... It's kind of a win all around. I'm not gonna You're lie. proof in
0: case. You're proof in case. Also, who likes anxiety? Like, yo, that I don't. Shit's I don't real. know. I don't think I'm a big fan of feeling anxious, right? Yeah. And so, as your body, as your soul is re-entering your body or trying to find its way back into your body, <laughs> the anxiety that comes along with it is just so wild. And so, anyway, we yeah. uh, we could go on about this forever. I encourage anybody who's is feeling it like to do so. And if you have no issues. Good, congratulations yeah, and you're one of the lucky few <laughs> do do you and thank you for coming to my cocktail bars and buying our beer and supporting people with developmental delays yeah. and everybody else yeah um by the way yeah
1: i i looked this up uh, i said why is alcohol called a spirit it says, these drinks were thought to hold both the spirit of life force or just to, to hold the spirit or life force that gave them their power <laughs> who knew Dead, the
0: distillers in the Bowery in 1655. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it, It's just a, it's a really interesting relationship Yeah. Uh, for anybody and everybody. And, you know, I just, I hope whoever is listening is, is on the constant path to try and feel and get better. You know, you just start to refine and refine and refine, Jack, I'm 47 this year. I'm in stage three renal failure, um, steps away from stage four and I get 15, 16 hours of energy a day. And I don't take any other medication aside from a heart medication to help regulate my heart. Um, that isn't medicine, food, stardust. Right. And, you know, longevity, I think is what we all hope for. And we also want to be our most fit and healthy and mobile selves as we get older to just enjoy the life that we're creating. And yeah. so Any of the things that would interrupt that is I think the sort of thesis of this this conversation that you and I've had, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, is just be really careful what you put in your body and why. And the why has got to be the question in every single step that you have in your life to say, why am I doing this? And if you don't want to look at it, look at it three times as hard, right? Because it's maybe an an uncured trauma, something that's happened to you in your life that has made you feel either hurt or insignificant. Um, something that has you know, caused you to bury or to show up as uh, we talk about often in shadow, mm. your shadow shows up and says, hey, or acts in a certain way or a behavior, there is the opportunity. We're very resilient. We're very psychically and mentally resilient mm. um, to be able to look at those things and say, that wasn't my fault. Or I was, you know, there's I was a different person or all of those sorts of things. Mm. Um, the one that I always share with my teams is the, the reason the rear view mirror is a twentieth of the size of the front front uh, windshield of your car is because there's nothing back there, <laughs> aside from a couple lessons. Right, right. Take the lessons and look forward. Right. Yeah. We spend so much time in our heads ruminating on what we coulda, shoulda. Yeah. And none of that's real. It doesn't exist. Yeah. All you have is the present moment. So stop ruminating over backwards. Stop worrying too much about forwards. And living in the present requires you to be your best, healthiest, most mindful self. And I think that's the best thing that I could possibly share with anybody today is anything that takes you out of that space or that energy is, is your enemy. Ooh. And you need to look at it as such.
1: Yeah. When your book come out?
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're working. It's a funny <laughs> one. And we can we can close with this because I had my first book deal in 09. Really? And yeah, my first book deal, I had a three book deal in 09, 2010. I blew that one up um and it's just i think you know like any art form uh and i love to create and i love to design i love to make things i've gone three quarters of the way in the process of a book now three times yeah uh, in in earnestness yeah. and said this is not what i'm supposed to release of course i've done cookbooks and stuff that you know have been really fun to do mm-hmm. um but we are working on one right now and when i say we i mean sarah is helping me formulate uh, how it plays called better mm. um my charity is called the Better Life Foundation. Our podcast and radio show is called Better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, truly will be a book about everything you and I've discussed today mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is um, tools for resilience, as we say on the pod, wow. right? Like what what is it that I can help you in a way that you can access, regardless of your socioeconomic status or or who you are to yourself at this moment, mm-hmm. um, to see and live in a better way. And I think we have an, this podcast does it too we have a we have a responsibility in this moment to shed as much light and live in as much love as we possibly can as citizens and as individuals Mm -hmm. because the darkness continues to amass and i don't say this in a (laughs) i don't say this in a sci-fi or fantasy way like love wins and we have to just live in it right and that means to take our language and make sure that we're speaking it into the world, that we're speaking it to each other, that we're acting in it in compassion and empathy instead of apathy and truth. And all of those things create a bigger, better, safer planet for us all to be on and Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And when you travel, just think about this analogy. When you travel and you see people with the West's lens of very little, Mm. why are they often the happiest people you've ever met?
1: It's so true.
0: But why? And so that's, that can be the start of your thesis or your design for yourself is possessions and money does not equal happiness. It never has Mm -hmm. the center of every great Eastern philosophy really just says detachment is there for a reason. Yeah. And I can say as a a longtime student of all of them, um, the happiest I've ever been in my life is being in love with my partner, being in love with my work and truly loving myself
1: better drop the mic bro
0: (laughs) (laughs) i gotta step away because we gotta go pick up our dogs and go for a giant walk in the park right now because that's what we do we make time for this shit
1: i love that wait you have multiple dogs
0: we have we have a whole ass family i inherited a whole (laughs) family i got like a a movie star retriever i've got like a rock star palm it's it's a wild like look how many plants i have
1: dude uh i like fucking a
0: hundred plants a (laughs) hundred there's a fucking look at these. Look, at this palm is encroaching. I can barely play records. This no. palm is in my. Get out of my space. No, bro. I see.
1: I I I have about twenty plants, so I'm with you. It's,
0: <laughs> it's wild, but it's a beautiful way to live, and I can't wait to see you in person again soon. Oh, Sarah boy. and I will be there in June, and we'll get the whole squad together to spend yes. some time. Oh, and thank, thank you for thank you for having me yeah. on the show. Like it truly is an honor. I'm a you know longtime listener, um, and first time caller. I'm very very happy to be here.
1: <laughs> thank you for calling the Midnight Storm. that's right no thank you so much for joining current mood i really appreciate it and i love your perspective and um thank you for just doing the work that you do it's 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 so valuable and it's necessary and um yeah just so much gratitude to you for real thanks so much for tuning into current mood today Don't forget to follow Current Mood on Spotify and give us a little rating if you're feeling it. Give us a little star action. Five stars would be great. And follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any ideas on future guests or any insights, feel free to slide right into our DMs on Instagram at currentmood.io. Thank you so much for being
0: a part of this community. It really means a lot.